It's a lovely song and has a really powerful message, and it tracks with what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I've spent the weekend, last couple of nights, uh, at Camp Bayoka. I don't know how many of you are from Knoxville, uh, and whether you're like 50 years old or 12 years old, you've probably been there and you've got some memories associated with that place. Uh, it's really cool, and it's just nice to get back on uh, that side of things. Uh, there was a retreat with uh, the UT University of Tennessee BCM. Some of you guys may were there. I see a few faces that were there. It was a great time. And after each session during the, the last couple of nights, uh, I had an opportunity to talk with students one-on-one, which is so cool, and have some appointments even set up this week for some extended conversations about uh, some of the things that we talked about. And you can kind of see that coming because we addressed some very specific issues about our identity and about relationships and things. So uh, last night, it was kind of toward the end of that, and there's, I can see kind of my peripheral vision. There's still like a couple of guys, and I'd started a sheet. I said, if you would like my notes about some of this, just um, email me, and I'll send them to you, you know, and you can kind of have that, and maybe it'll make more sense. So I, I kind of figured that's what this guy wanted. He said, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And I go, yeah. He goes, something awful has just happened. I go, what's happened? And he said, this is not funny, and if you're here... I'm not going to tell who you are. I don't think you're here, but um, if you know who it is, don't. Uh, so anyway, so this guy says, so I'm texting my girlfriend on the way here because she couldn't come, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to say, I miss you terribly. And he said, so auto, auto check comes in, auto, auto, and, it, and it changes the, the terribly, it's a capital T, and it becomes Terry. So I miss you, Terry. And he, and he, so, <laughs> so she, she writes back and was like, so who's Terry? I think you said, I think you meant this for somebody else. And he said, I could just, well, whoa, I could feel the tone. And he goes, her name's not Terry, obviously. He goes, no, I didn't. And if you've ever been to Bioka, you know, you get up there and he goes, no, I didn't mean or something. And anyway, you lose signal and you can't from like that bridge all the way up and back down, you, you can't send in or out. So all of a sudden, he goes dark, you know, he's just silent. And, and anyway, he says, she's just really terrible. I've got to drive back down into Townsend or somewhere to send her a message. I know she's like really mad, and this looks shady. And I think, oh, thank you, auto-correct. Auto Am I saying that right? You know, spell check, you know how it does that. And I, I've, I've looked before, and you've seen you like, oh, that's you got some funny things that it says sometimes that you didn't mean to say, and we've all got stories like that. The thing is, it's not just on my phone that I've done that. I do that like this sometimes. You know, there's times I have misspoken or I say things or didn't say things, and you've probably done that too. Uh, because uh, Dr. Rogers used to say, whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket, you know. And sometimes you say something and realize, oh, that's really not what I meant to say, and that's really not not who I am. And it's all wrapped up in how we have learned to love each other and how that has to come from the inside out. It can't be faked. It can't be manufactured. It's not something that you can generate in the moment and it's kind of say things that that feel really hollow and uh, not authentic because it's not. Next week, we're going to start a new series. We're kind of doing these back-to-back series. But the idea behind that is, is purposeful in, in the sense that 
what I don't want to happen, and sometimes I, I know it does, and sometimes it's unavoidable that I'll be, you know, like talk about one thing, and then it's like, and now we're going to talk about this, and you think, oh, you know, boom, you know, like this. I want to try to connect not just the messages within a series, but to connect the next series somehow so that it's that it makes sense to you, not just intellectually or homiletically, but uh, but spiritually, that your heart can go with the next thing. So, we started this series for this year called Messy, and it's talking about the fact that relationships are not very neat, are they? They're painful, they're sloppy, uh, you know, and there's just like, ah, oh, these things happen. And like this poor guy, I hope he got this figured out. And I hope that sometime during the night or this morning, he's probably over there like with flowers or something. And he's thinking, oh, baby, oh, let me explain, you know. And um, and hopefully that's like a TV show. And maybe that that's all worked out. Relationships don't always fall into place like that. They're messy. But it's important that we try to get it right. Because this commandment that Jesus gave us is the commandment. You see, he came into an environment where we're trying to know God through all the rules and the regulations and the law. And, you know, that was like the best we could come up with. The only way we knew how to get to him and how to connect to each other was by doing it that way. But that gets so complicated. We have a, we had a guy here at Calvary who was attending, um, who was here studying from Africa and he wanted to know about, you know, American culture, and he was a follower of Jesus there. And, um, and so while he was here, anyway, I took him to a Smokies game. That's a local baseball team, if you're not from around here, a minor league team. Um, and I know, I know major league, you know, television's kind of killed minor league ball. But see how I just stop and make little political comments? Who says I'm not political? That was, yeah, about baseball. But um, so I took him to the game. He had never been to a baseball game before. I think, who's never been to a baseball game? So, check this out. I'm trying to explain. Could there be another sport that's easier for you to, to get than baseball? It's like nothing else. I mean, it, it just doesn't, you know. I'm saying, okay. So, what they're trying to do, that guy with that stick, you know, he's going to hit it and he's going to go there. Where's he going to go? Why, did he, why didn't he just go to? I said, well, what he wants to do is go around and get to here. Why doesn't he just go back and forth like in cricket? Well, it does, it's not like that. Anyway, so I explained the concept and the rules. And then I go, okay. And for those of you who follow that sport, you know that for every rule, there's like six or eight anti-rules. You know, like, unless this happens and then that rule doesn't apply. And then this. And, oh, here's another little subtle thing. It was just, and I could tell he's trying to be really polite and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's a great sport. This is crazy. This doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I could just tell. He's like, why don't you just play soccer and just go back and forth, or even basketball, back and forth, or any number of sports. It was a difficult night because of that. And then on top of that, you've got all the baseball slang. You know, and they'll yell out things or something. He goes, what does that mean? That's nothing like what you, you taught me about this other. I, I go, oh, you know what, that's... That's baseball talk. It's, it's like a completely different language. 
And you can talk all through the game, you know, and I'm, I'm saying little things or other people are saying things. What, what does that mean? I go, well, it's just kind of the way we say this about that. And, and what I find is that we're the same way. You know, we, we apply and we've got, we build our life, our Christian life and our experience with the Lord with all these formulas and patterns and, and things that we think somehow is going to take us to the next place. And we've got our own language. Isn't that a blessing? It is, you know, and see, I just used one. And we, we do that, and then, but then we get to the end of that, and we think, why? It just doesn't seem to be working. It's not only true in relationships, but it's true in life. So this series we're going to start next week is all about our vision, where I think God's leading us as a fellowship. But I want to do more than give you a sentence or a paragraph. Because you remember a few years ago, it kind of became trendy, first in the business world, guys like Jack Welch and Bob Goff and other guys who I totally respect and think they are so incredibly smart. And well, you began to throw this out. Your business needs a vision statement. Your vision, you know, your, your business needs a, a vision statement. And, and churches kind of kind of bought into that. And like, yeah, we need to identify so we can put it on our website and on a plaque on the wall or on our desk. And, and everybody began to do that. But then here's what happened. The disconnect was that what we say and then what we're really doing, sometimes it doesn't it, it doesn't sink. It's like, well, what we really do day to day is over here, but we really like this and it sounds good and that's kind of what we want to be and we think in an ideal, perfect world, that's what we would be, but here's what we really are. And you know why uh, so many people are frustrated with that? It just becomes, again, just a slogan, but not really who you are because it's a made-up sentence. It's a made-up paragraph. I am convicted and believe that our vision, our mission flows out of our values, who we really are. This church has had a mission for over 100 years. And we have a future that if Jesus doesn't come back, hopefully we'll extend another 100. And there should be a unifying and an anchoring vision and message that is consistent and powerful. And it's always, always tied to the values, the personality, and the calling that God's given us. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, before we can talk about that, a couple of things have to happen. I believe there needs to be this foundation of what are the values that Jesus had as a priority in his life and what did he communicate for us as his followers. That's why we do this series, Messy. Because he said this, there's, there's no other commandment greater than this. You love the Lord God with all your heart and your soul and your passion. And then you love each other like your neighbors. You love each other like yourself. So we've begun with that value because I think it's the biggest and the deepest and the strongest one. And it's the one that covers all of the other ones. 
If you get that right, you're going to be getting the other ones right. Now, the other thing that needs to happen for us to really be able to understand the vision and to go forward with that, and I promise you, I'm not going to offer you formulas and tricks and methods and, you know, all the, and here, and I, I, I don't think that's kind of where, where God has us going, but I think when you get the vision, you're able to make it your own and you'll know what to do next. But it's going to be really important for you not just to buy into a vision here, but for you to have a personal vision for your life. What is your calling? What is your mission statement? Several years ago, I asked that question, and and I took days and days just to write out, and, and I kept getting it down, and I got it down to 10 sentences. And I looked at it and said, God, that's, that's me. That's who I want to be. This is my personal constitution. I have failed. Miserably. At some of those. Some of them I've been a brilliant success with. And the ones in between, kind of mediocre. So God has brought me to a season in my life. I want to get these things right. Not just an abstract a statement that you write because it's pretty, it sounds good, it's pithy, it's eloquent. But no, these reflect the people that we are. So if you're going to engage in this, if you're a regular attender here at Calvary, if you're a member especially, um, we're going to go forward with a vision together. you you got to pull that together for yourself. You've got to know what is your personal vision and mission statement. So begin praying and moving forward with that in your life, in your personal life. Uh, And don't be in a hurry about it. If it takes you a day, God bless you. You're amazing. Uh, If it takes you a week or a month, that's okay. Just let the Holy Spirit guide you and use your life, your personality, your experiences, everything you bring to the table. Go backward, go forward, and you're you're going to begin to see. It will just come. You're not going to have to... Think about it like when you write a term paper or do a project at work or something like that. It's just, it's going to become evident. Oh, this is the woman that God created me to be. Oh, this is the guy. This is the man that God has designed uh, in me. The law can be summed up in this single command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's just so, the simplicity of it is just beautiful. And the only way to fulfill that command, believe me, I've tried to do it with Jesus and without him. <laughs> it just doesn't work. You need to be, you know, we, we've got to place our trust in Christ and allow him to live in and through our lives and express himself. That's the only way uh, that that works. And there's a beautiful place that that is, is summed up. Uh, and, and I'm using this as kind of our concluding text uh, for this series. And I want to read that with you right now. It's in Romans chapter 13. And I've said before, I think Romans is probably, I don't know, this is a risky statement because you really can't compare different books of the Bible, right? They're all inspired. They're all, but 
if, if I'm on a desert island and somebody said you can only have one book of the Bible, I think it's probably going to be Romans for me because it's all in there. It's all in there. It's so it's so deep and so theological and just um, this is a beautiful thing. Okay, end of my commercial for the book of Romans. Um, I'm going to start at the 8th verse of the 13th chapter where Paul says this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, he's just echoing exactly what Jesus said. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love that. The biblical definition of love, and I, I, I felt like I probably should have said this earlier in this series than like the last day of this, you know, that I'm doing that. But um, because of some questions or comments that, that I've received over the last several weeks, and I know we're just a crazy, isn't this insane, uh, politically what's going on, and everybody's ranting. If you get on any place on social media, that's everybody just wants to talk about Trump and talk about this and that and that and I know it's like a it's like a political roller coaster. I mean, whether you like this or don't like that, and we probably all agree and disagree about different things. But whoo, hang on. And I, I told you last year. I remember I remember saying, "Hey, it's going to be a bumpy ride. However you vote and whoever's in office, it's going to be a bumpy ride." And being the prophet that I am, uh, I got that right. And it was pretty easy, right? I won't say if the Falcons are going to win tonight or not. I'll just say maybe it could happen. You know. But the biblical definition of love does not include, I hope, oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood uh, after this moment, does not include the culture's insistence of tolerating and even celebrating sin. I love you. And I've got my junk, and believe me, I've got history, and I've got stuff, and I've got there's I've had a boatload of shame and guilt about a hundred things, and I'm no better than anybody in this room or anybody else. And so I, I want you to hear that real clearly because I'm not judging you, but I am saying this: sin is sin. It's always been sin, and it always will be. We can dress it up. Culture can veer away from it. We can say it's not. We can say all these things and Christians are really, really out of style right now and some of our biblical values and our views, uh, I totally, totally get that. Um, but sin is going to be sin. I was on the news once. I've been on the news several times. I'm kind of a local celebrity, pretty pretty famous. A lot of you, when you walked in, you think, I know that guy from somewhere. It's probably because you saw me on the news. Um, but this was a, a couple of years ago, and the issue was, uh, I think when the gay marriage issue was on the table, and that was the big, big thing, uh, it was before that moved from that to transgender and to, you know, all the other issues, because our society is absolutely 
obsessed with sex. Right? I mean, it's all, I mean, it's like, how did that become, you know, the, the, the I'm, I met a guy, I, I, this is so true. And uh, we talked for a moment and we met and he go, he introduced himself. I said, oh, he told me his name. And then he said, and I'm a homosexual. I thought, ah, well, I'm Dan. I'm um, heterosexual. Uh, I'm white. I'm getting old. Um, Southern, you can hear my accent. I thought, why did he feel the need to, to identify himself based on that? Because that's where we are in history. So I'm, I'm on this news thing, and I make this statement. And they asked this question, and I gave an answer, and asked another question, and I gave that answer. So what they did, they, they asked this question, and then they took the answer I gave to this question and put it with that one. So that made me look kind of mean or intolerant or insensitive. And, uh, boy, I got, I got notes and calls and emails about that, and I think, wow... I know that you're scared sometimes and you're intimidated and you pull back and and where we're taking off, I'm going to land at the end. And so sometimes you never speak up about your faith and you're almost embarrassed when people say, well, where do you get your values? What do you believe that? And you go, well, from the Bible. Because you know how that's going to sound to the friends on campus and at your high school and on your job and in the cubicle and at lunch. You think, I know how that's going to come across when I say this is my standard and this is what I live by. Because in so many points, uh, particularly, like I say, sexual things come to my mind, but there are other issues as well. Love is also to be wise and discriminating. And you can love people and not necessarily love their lifestyle or their position or their political opinions and all of that. You've got to get past that. And you've got to love people who don't look like you or act like you or think like you. And if you just keep loving other conservatives or other people who were raised maybe as Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, you're going to miss this whole you know, section of culture who need desperately to know that you care and that you love them. So don't put yourself in a box or in a hole. Um, Real love does not love uh, everything. On the contrary, it hates what is evil and it clings to that what is good. That's what Romans 12, 9 says. And if we truly love, uh, for instance, you're going to hate violence done to people by whatever means. That's why I hate abortion. I think it's violence done to an innocent person. But we'll love those who work for peace and even those who are guilty of the violence. We're still going to love those people because we want them to to turn from that because it's doing so much damage to themselves and to others. So we're going to hate lying even and love truth. And we're going to still love the people who who lie. We're going to see them as people in need of a Savior because you've told lies. This word at the end of this uh, that Paul uses in verse 14, uh, which we didn't go that far. We did in verse 12 where he says, the night is gone. Let us put on the armor uh, of light. And then at the end of that, this little section in verse 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to, to gratify its desire. 
That word put on is the, the Lord Jesus is the same word, and he uses this phrase in other places and in other writings. Um, it's it's in duo is the word for in the Greek to to put on, and it's really cool because what it means is is to sink into. We've got a little border collie at our house. Her name's Briscoe. We've had her like eleven years, and for those eleven years, uh, I didn't want this dog. I did not want a dog, and all of that. But uh, but. She picked me as her alpha. That's what, if you got a border collie, that's what they do. And so the family just thought it was hilarious that the one guy who didn't want a dog, the dog picks me to be her friend. And from the time I'm home, my family, some of them are here, so they'll testify to this. She's never five, more than five feet away from me. I mean, we are like, we all over the place together from the entire time I leave there until the time I leave. In fact, she comes in at night. And they like to herd you. They want to herd everybody. So she herds me into bed. And then she gets under the bed. I've got a little piece of carpet there. She gets right under me in the bed. And then when things settle down, it gets quiet and all that. Then she comes back out. Now, we have in our bedroom a leather chair. It was given to us. It is the nicest chair in our house. And she hops up in that chair and she sleeps in it every night. And then in the morning... About 6.30, she raises up, and she starts watching me. And it's kind of a little creepy because um, I, I pretend to be asleep, and I peek over at her, and she's watching because she knows when I wake up, we're going to go for a walk. So sometimes she gets impatient, and she jumps down out of the chair. She comes around, and she's just blatantly, you know, that friend who's annoying, and it's just like, you know, just right there. She's, she's like that. She's right there. But she sits in that chair. Now, the thing about that chair is it is we would love to sit in that chair. It's the best chair in our house. It reclines. It's super cushy. It's got really soft leather. But it's covered in dog hair now. (laughs) And we vacuum it and we wipe it. But we know if you sit in that chair and you get up, all during the day, people are going to be coming up to you going, oh, you got something. I go, yeah, that's, that's that's a border collie hair. This word to put on is exactly what Briscoe does. Every night she sinks into our chair. You get, the, you get the picture? That's what she does. And she shouldn't deserve that chair. It's so much nicer than what a dog deserves. But we call it Briscoe's chair because she has this chair now and she sinks into it every night. Paul says you need to sink into Jesus. You need to put on the armor of light. And this is the verb that was always used, even outside of a biblical context, of putting on a garment. Now, a couple of years ago, everybody started wearing puffy jackets, right? And they're so warm. I've seen some of you in some today. Maybe some of you are sitting out there today. And my friends were telling me, and a couple of guys on staff had them. They said, oh, Dan, you got to get one of these puffy jackets, you know. It's just, they're so light, and but they're so warm. So I waited. At the end of the season, I got one on sale. And mine was so much cooler than everybody else's, you know. But no, and this this is it. And um and they were right, but I remember when it arrived, I got it like through Amazon or something, and it came, and I thought, oh, there's no way that's going to keep me warm. Look how light it is. But, you know, I put this on, 
and you know, went out walking, and it was so, I just thought, that's amazing. So then I began to experiment with it. And now you got to remember, I'm already the weird old guy who's walking around the neighborhood with a dog every morning and every night. There goes the old dog guy. But now the old dog guy's got this cool new jacket. So, you know, I, I do my typical bundle up thing, but I'm hot. So I take a layer off and take a layer off. Pretty soon I'm just down to a T-shirt. I'm walking around in my puffy jacket, and I thought about taking that off, and I thought, no, that's just too weird, you know, shirtless guy with a jacket, you know, I thought, mm, I don't think my neighborhood's ready for that, they're not going to handle that, but you know what this word means? Put on the Lord Jesus. You see, this only serves me well, it only keeps me warm, this only works when I put it on. I could leave from my walk every day and, you know, just, just put this in my closet. And I said, you know what, I'm going to be warm because I got that jacket. That's going to keep me warm. Not if I don't wear it, right? You get it? That's the thing. Now, some of you are tracking beside Jesus and you think that's what it is. And you're keeping the church laws and the rules and the religious parts of, of everything that you were taught somewhere along the way, that that's Christianity. Now listen, this is what it is. It's putting Jesus on. Wearing him every day. That's the only way. That's how this works. That's how your relationships work. If I try to love my wife and, and myself and just my flesh and my own, you know, I think I can do this. I'm going to fail every time. But when I put Jesus on and allow him to love her through me and in me, she can tell the difference. Because he knows her better than I do. And he knows how to love her. And the same goes with all the other relationships. So we put on, Ephesians 4.24 uses that same language. He says, and put on the new self. You're a different girl now. You're a different guy now. He says, put on the new self, which uh, in him is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and in holiness in him. You are, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And here in Ephesians 4, he said, you put on his righteousness and you put on uh, this holiness. And see, so you're walking around trying to live for Jesus. You know, I'm going to try to be my best Christian I can be today. And you're just mimicking what you think that is. And we parrot that and we wonder, why am I failing so miserably? Because that's not how it works. It's putting on Jesus and realizing I have become. He has so changed my new self that the, his righteousness and holiness is there. Romans 13 is not only God's means of uh, speaking to us, but it was the means of leading St. Augustine to Christ. This is the passage that he was reading. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's like an ancient, I guess you'd say a medieval, I'm a, yeah, a medieval theologian. Uh, he wrote a ton of stuff. He's just absolutely brilliant. Um, but this is a summary of his life. He said, and later he wrote in the Confessions of St. Augustine, um, that verse 13 describes who he was. 
Christmas. That's who I was. You see, St. Augustine, I don't know if you knew this about like Christian celebrities sometimes that they, you know, but he was very promiscuous as a young man. You think St. Augustine? That kind of gives you hope or help because you think, oh, I've got a lot of stuff and I don't think I'm ever be qualified. Well, he made it to be a saint, whatever that is, you know, but, um, and you are too, but we won't, go, we won't talk about that right now. But he, so he's a saint. And he says, verse 13, that's who I was. Verse, verse 14, he said, describes who I became. And he said, all those times, he said, I was so promiscuous that the Holy Spirit would convict me of sin. And he felt God pressing in on him to be saved, to which he would reply. And this is like old, really, really, really old school language. He says, presently, lo, presently. And I remember, I didn't say it like that, but I can remember being convicted of the Holy Spirit and going, yeah, you know what? I am. I just, I'm really, uh, not now. Not today, I really got the, uh, but let me get back to you. And then he said uh, this to the Holy Spirit, leave me a little while. I used to think like that. Lord, you know what, I'm going to, I feel this is something I want to check out and I'm, I'm pulled this way and, but you look over your shoulder at your friends and all the stuff you're doing and you're thinking, mm, but not today. That's where St. Augustine was because he wanted to live according to his flesh a little longer. And for some of you, that's the problem. That's why your relationships aren't working. You don't feel connected to God. and um, You feel like there's this hole, this empty, hollow place within you because there is. And that's Jesus. In other words, he avoided God and he ran away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit for years. But after he was saved... St. Augustine became one of the most influential Christian theologians of his time. This is not set aside just for guys like that or, or women like, you know, like Mother Teresa or Coy Ten Boone or whoever you're, you know, somebody more contemporary. This is for you. And I don't know what you've heard up until now. And I think there's a lot of legitimate methods and paths that we can get to. Uh, I was talking to a guy last night and he said, Do you, what's your method? What's your formula uh, for leading somebody to Christ? He said, I'm meeting with somebody this week. And, and he said, there's four spiritual laws, Romans Road or this or that. And I said, you know what? I memorized all of those and I can still do them. And maybe there's a point in place where I still do. And if you do that, God bless you. Do something. Yeah, Absolutely. I said, mostly it comes through spiritual conversations where I verbalize somehow my faith and people are willing to take this step out of their sin and their flesh and themselves and into Jesus. And I'm willing to say, Lord, I die to myself. The bad things about me, the good things about me, all of it is not worthy. And I take on your life. And I repent. I leave my, I'm turning away from all that stuff that doesn't work that I thought it would. And only because of all that, I have all these damaged emotions, these crazy worldviews about things, and, and I'm just messed up. And maybe you're not in crisis, but you could quietly say in your heart, but I'm messed up. <laughs> And it's Jesus.
And it's simply abandoning my old life, my old self, and all of that, and saying, I'm going to put on Jesus. That's it. And I began to follow him. I initiated that with a prayer. But I want you to know there's a difference between a genuine heart cry to the Lord and parroting a magic prayer. Okay? <laughs> you know, where you, and, you know, you kind of do that. And now and I remember asking, um, well, I was, you know what? I was just about to tell you a, a man, but the man was my dad. And uh, toward the end of his life and just asking him, you know, Dad, I, I promised I wouldn't keep talking to you about Jesus. I know I wear you out. And, and I was a little obnoxious about it. I, had, you know, I realized I wouldn't have wanted to talk to me either. But I said, I've, I've got to set that. You've got to let me talk to you because I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again in eternity. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You think I'm not a Christian? I go, I don't know. I said, I remember drinking with you. And I remember going here with you. And I remember this. And I've heard you. Curse so many times, and I've heard you, and I've seen you get mad, and I've seen oh, I've seen all of this. But and I'm not judging you, because hey, you know, you know me. What, where have I? I said, but I've never seen you go inside of church. I've never seen you read scripture. I've never heard you say a prayer. I've never heard you be interested in spiritual things. I've never. I just I don't get it. You're confusing me. How? Why do you say you're a Christian? He said, because when I was, this is my dad, this is my, I remember taking my dad. <laughs> but uh, he's, an, he's an old Korean war veteran and just rough, you know, grew up farming. and I mean, just tough guy, worked in a machine shop. He said, because I prayed that prayer. And she did what? I prayed that prayer. I was 13 years old. I still remember it. And then I got baptized. I said, uh, yeah, prayed that prayer. That prayer. I do not know if my dad was a Christian or not. I hope to the Lord that he was. I hope I see him again. But I don't know. Because all I've got to go on is that he prayed that prayer. And if you think you're a follower of Jesus because when you were a child you prayed that prayer... It's not the same thing as putting on Christ, putting on the new self. So I'm challenging, I'm pushing at you a little bit, and the Lord knows my heart. I don't like people getting saved over and over and over and being baptized over and over and over. And um, I refuse to have an evangelist here because once because he had the reputation of talking every all these Christians into that they weren't Christians and getting them saved and baptized again. And, woo, and I said, you know what? I, I just think that's fake. I, you know, if you, you know whether you are or not. But if you're not, today's the day. You need to put on Jesus. Now, if you are, one of the most effective ways to love others and to share that love is to verbalize your faith, is to share Jesus with them in a genuine way. How can you not do that? I mean, you see a movie, you go see La La Land, or you go see some, and the next day you're talking about it, and you're telling your friends whether they should go or shouldn't go, or you tried this new restaurant, 
And Knoxville has, we have our share of restaurants, don't we? Oh, my goodness. And so we were always trying out the new restaurant. And, you know, I think the burgers are better here and better there. And we just talk about that. I, I, I'm pulling for the Falcons. You know, Daniel came up. How many of you this way? And you put your hand up. I'm a Patriots fan. And, you know, and I don't get that. But um, no, I'm kidding and just kidding. But, you know, we, 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 we don't hesitate. I hate Trump. I like Trump. I, uh, I think this. I th- but then when it comes to Jesus, what happens? Hey, Christian, I don't want to like really offend anybody. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'm kind of building a bridge. I'm kind of building a relationship. I'm going to get to it. What? I'm just giving you permission. In fact, I'm doing more than that. I'm challenging you. Talk about it. It's okay. You're going to be so surprised that your friends are not that greatly offended. (laughs) And that maybe they've been curious. I was curious. I had one Christian friend who was bold enough to talk to me. And he wasn't weird. He wasn't crazy. And I respected him. I didn't always agree. But I listened. And for two years, we had spiritual conversations. And it was through his influence that I came to Jesus. Because he was the real deal. He wasn't ashamed of it. He didn't force it down my throat. It's just one of the things we talked about. But I could tell it was different than all the other things. There was a passion. And there was a love. And there was a peace. And I didn't have those things. And it kept pulling me closer and closer to Jesus. But if you don't talk about it. Okay, I want to show you this video. And this, we're going we're gonna to close here. And I, I want you to think about this. Because this just, I watched this several times. And I showed it to Kevin. I said, Wow, are you familiar with the um, uh, the, the magician the, the t- team, uh, Penn and Teller? You know what I'm talking about. Everybody, everybody's nodding. Um, th- this is um, one of the guys f- from that, and he's an atheist, and he had an experience where somebody shared the gospel with him, and what I am finding out is that what he shares is is very consistent with my experiences. When I take a deep breath and I tell start talking about this, I find that people don't jump up and go, how dare you? But they lean in and go, so I got a question. I don't understand. This. They just, they just, so why are you waiting? I want you to listen to this and... Um, then I'm going to ask Joe to, to come and to close us with, with, a, with a prayer and ask God to give us the courage and give us the grace and the opportunity. And you, if, you, if you buy in today, if you go, Lord, I'm going to do this this week, you bring me the opportunity, I guarantee you the opportunity is going to come. It is, you're not going to, and you're going to know it in the moment. Oh, great. You know, the, and people are just going to, and it's just going to be right in front of you. And you're going to have a chance just to talk about Jesus. Listen to what he says as an atheist. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. Big guy, and um, he had been the um, 
the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh... How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of good
goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book.